I'm inviting you to turn your Bibles to the book of Esther. Isn't that a great picture? Uh, Dana um, uh, does our graphic design around here and uh, created that. Just a, a, a stunning picture. Um, Esther is uh, one of those books, though, that we'll get into in just a moment that uh, requires some navigating. And we'll do that uh, as we go through this morning. In 1955, Rosa Parks got onto a bus and was arrested for refusing to give up her seat uh, to a white man. She wrote a book called Quiet Strength. And in that book, she wrote this. She wrote, when I sat down on the bus that day, I had no idea that history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home, but I had made up my mind after so many years of being a victim of the mistreatment my people suffered, not giving up my seat or whatever I had to face afterward was not important. I did not feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for someone to stand up or in my case, sit down. So I refused to move. She says there that I had to do something. Today I want to talk to the women here. You don't have to be a mom to hear this message. Uh, even guys here, this is a message that I want you to hear, but most importantly, this is a message for women. Have you been in that spot where you had to do something? You had to do something. Well, Esther in Scripture is one of those women who had to do something in the situation and setting that she was placed in, she found herself in, there was need to act and need to move, and in that brought great glory to God and changed not only a generation, but changed an entire people, God's people. I have to tell you at the outset of this book, the book of Esther, that, that this book is not without controversy. For years, for generations throughout history, there have been questions as to whether the book of Esther even belongs in Scripture. You see, there is no reference in the book of Esther to God. None whatsoever. You can look, you can scan, you can do an examination. There's no reference to God in the book of Esther. There's no reference to the law, and there's definitely no reference directly to the Messiah. Some people would even argue that there's not much theological substance to the book, and thus they would feel like it, it doesn't belong in Scripture, and yet it has great value. And that great value is what places it in the Bibles that we carry with us today. You see, Esther was a Jewish girl who lived just after the time of the Babylonian exile. She was probably alive during that time, although it was coming to an end. And as the Babylonian empire fell to the Persians, many uh, of God's people, many of the Jews, many of the Israelites moved back and migrated back to Israel. There were a number, however, who stayed there in what was formerly Babylon. Here we hear and find out that Esther, along with her father's cousin named Mordecai, were among those who didn't return to Israel but stayed there. Esther had been adopted by her father's cousin after her father and her mother had passed away. She was an orphan and she had been adopted by a family member. They were away from home, they were away from their people, 
and subject to persecution in a foreign land. The king of Persia during that time, we're told, was King Xerxes. King Xerxes was powerful, he was famous, and he was quite a bit of a peacock. He enjoyed strutting, he enjoyed showing off, he enjoyed being flamboyant, he enjoyed other people honoring him for his exploits and for his accomplishments. He got to this one point, we're told, where he wanted to celebrate all that he had done and he wanted everyone else to celebrate what he had done. So he displayed his power, he displayed all of his accomplishments, and he displayed his wealth over a period of six months. We're told 180 days. I don't know if there was a a parade every day. I think of Disneyland or Disney World where they have the electric light parade or the, the, the characters coming down every Every day, three times a day. I could assume that Xerxes was doing something like that. Every day for six months, he was showing off. It was showing off his military might. It was showing off, I'm sure he had, had uh, cases of gold and silver and all these things just kind of going up and down the main streets and everyone pointing and going, this belongs to Xerxes. Six months of celebrations of Xerxes' accomplishments. You talk about a peacock. Talk about somebody who wants to show off. Well, at the end of these six months, he throws not one party, but two parties. And these parties lasted seven days. Can you imagine a seven-day long party, 24 hours a day for seven days? There was one party on one side of town that was for the guys, because the guys, they want to party, and the guys don't want to party with the girls. They want to party, you know, they want to play Xbox and Nintendo and PS4, and, and they want to watch uh, PlayStation, and they want to have pizza. On the other side of town, the queen, uh, Xerxes' wife, and all the girls, they're having their party for seven days in a row. Now, obviously, they don't want to play PS4 and Xbox. I know this is overgeneralization because there might be some here who do. But girls, you want your party. And seven days these two parties go on. The guys partying over on one side of town, the girls partying on the other. Well, Xerxes gets going and... and in keeping with his character, in keeping with what he is truly like, he gets talking to the boys and he gets saying how beautiful his wife is and how awesome she is and like any guy should, he's talking up his girl. Well, he feels that in order to talk up his girl appropriately and to show off appropriately, the queen needs to come and make her presence known in the midst of all of these guys. So he sends word, he probably pulls out his phone and he texts over and says, hey, come on over. Or he, uh, you know, uh, sends up smoke signals or however they did it back in those days. He probably sent one of his envoys over to the girls' party, knocked on the door, says, am I I okay to come in? Comes in and says, hey, queen, King Xerxes wants you over at the guys' party because he wants to show you off to all the guys. Well, girls, if you're the queen, do you want to go over to that, that party? No, it's seven days. Guys in the same house for seven days, 24 hours a day, eating pizza and playing video games. Do you want to go in there? I don't think so. So, of course, the queen says, uh-uh, I'm not going. I'm hanging out with my peeps over here. I'm hanging out with my, my girlfriends over here, and I ain't going. 
Well, King Xerxes is so up on himself and so confident that he expects the queen to come running, but she doesn't. And he asks for her to come again, and he asks for her to come again, and and she is not responding. And he's getting more and more frustrated. He's getting embarrassed because he's promised to show off his wife to all the guys, and she's not coming. So he's had enough, and what does he do? He fires her. He fires her. He says, you are no longer queen. You are no longer my wife. He divorces her. He kicks her to the curb. And and guys, I I would not recommend this is the way that you handle marital disputes, okay? So guys, just take note. If, If there's one note that you take today, guys, that's it. Do not, for one, don't invite your wife to the party that you and the boys are, you know, um, you know, eating pizza and playing video games and burping and doing all sorts of things, okay? Just don't invite her. Number two, if she doesn't come when you want her to come, um, don't, don't divorce her, okay? So that's a side note. That, that's bonus information for you today. Well, so now... Xerxes is without a queen. Xerxes is without a wife. And, and he sets up, uh, he comes up with this idea on how to replace his wife. He is going to search high and low. He's going to search the, the countryside for the perfect wife. He's going to search for the perfect queen, the replacement queen. And it says that he, he sends out an edict that he's going to have a competition. He's going to have a beauty pageant in order to pick his next queen. And history tells us that King Xerxes opened up the competition and all of the young unmarried women in the land began to compete for this opening. And I'm sure this lineup was something like uh, the lines that you see on those reality TV shows, uh, The Voice, or, or uh, you know, America's, uh, you know, the Idol, America's Top Model, and all these things. And these, these women are, are lining up, guaranteed block after block, in hopes of becoming the next queen. Well, in chapter two, we're told that Esther was taken into the king's palace and and she was welcomed in and, and she was in the running to be the next queen. And here she was, a Jewish woman, a foreigner with no hint of noble blood and she's in the, in the competition to be the next queen of, queen of Persia. In verse 17 of chapter two, it says that now the king was attracted to Esther when she finally got an audience with the king. It says that King Xerxes was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and won his approval. And when when Xerxes met her, he was mesmerized. He fell head over heels over Esther and Esther was chosen to be the next queen of Persia. She was made his wife. From this point on, the story gets rather complex. We don't have time to get into it all today. But if you like mysteries, if you love uh, complex stories, this is one for you. And I encourage you to read it if you haven't read it before. But soon after Esther is made queen, an evil man, one of the king's trusted advisors, comes up and devises a plan to eliminate all 
Jewish people in the land. In fact, he had had a run-in with Mordecai and he knew that, that Esther's uncle Mordecai was a Jew and, and as a result, he wanted to get back not just at Mordecai but the rest of the Jewish people. And so he devised a plan and he presented a proposal to the king that every Jewish person in the land was to be eliminated. They were to be done away with. They were to be killed and whoever killed a Jewish person or Jewish family, they, as a reward, would accumulate all of the wealth and all the possessions of the person or the, the family that they killed. So this plan is, is put into place and an edict is given by the king, not knowing that his queen, his wife, is in fact a Jew herself. So the edict was given to destroy and to kill and to annihilate all of the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, and to plunder all of their goods. Esther's uncle, Mordecai, realizes that this plan has been put in place, and he goes to the queen. He goes to his niece, Esther, and says, Esther, something has to be done. You have the opportunity to go to the king. You have the opportunity to set things right. You have the opportunity to speak to him and have him reverse this edict. You have, have the, uh, the ability to stand before the king like no one else does. And as Mordecai is talking to her, she realizes that something has to be done, but there's a, there's a problem. And that problem is she hasn't been invited into the king's presence in months. She hasn't been welcomed into his presence. And, and see, a queen in those days and in that culture could not just walk into the king's presence even though they were married. She needed permission. She needed an invitation. And if she went into his presence without an invitation, she could be killed and more than likely would be killed for disrespecting the king. And knowing his track record and knowing what he did with, with women in his life that he didn't like and didn't approve of, things weren't looking very good for her. The only way that she, her life would be spared is if she went into his presence and if she gained his favor, he would extend his scepter toward her and welcome her into his presence and so Esther has a dilemma on her hands. She knows that, that these are extreme circumstances. She knows there's a death sentence over all of her people. She also knows that, that she is a Jew, even though the king doesn't know that. So she struggles. She's, she's vacillating on what to do. She's, she's thinking through and she's, she's wondering, what should I do and what needs to be done? And I believe the Lord speaks through her uncle Mordecai. And you'll see in Esther chapter 4, verse 12, Mordecai presses her and he puts her position and her placement into context. And he says this, Esther, don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He had confidence in God's ability to preserve and to maintain and care for his people. But he says, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. 
Many of us have heard that phrase. Many of us have heard this part of the story. Not knowing the context and the dilemma that Esther had, knowing that there was a very real possibility that she would lose her life one way or the other. It was a no-win situation. And yet Mordecai presses in, he puts it in context, and he says, do you think? Do you think that God has set you in this place of all the women in the land to be chosen queen, you were chosen, do you think maybe, just maybe, God put you in this place at just this time for a specific reason and for a specific purpose? And so Esther agrees, and she firmly resolves, much like Rosa Parks did back in the 50s, that it's time to do something. It's time. I have to do something. I can't just stand idly around and not do something. And in verse 16 of chapter four, she says, I will go to the king. And if I perish, I will perish. She didn't care what would happen to her. She knew she had a job to do. So Esther goes to Xerxes. She receives his favor He extends the scepter to her and welcomes her into his presence. Ultimately, she has him reverse the the edict, God's people are spared, and the one who had been working behind the scenes to destroy God's people, he himself was put to death. It's quite an amazing story. And the result was that Esther was used by God to save God's people. Esther was used by God in that specific situation to boldly step out, risking her own life, and as a result, received high honor, not only in that kingdom, but in the kingdom of God. I believe there are three attributes here for every woman that we can glean from this story. Three attributes, women, young, old. This isn't a Mother's Day message just for moms. This is a Mother's Day message for every single woman here, young or old. Three attributes that I believe you're called to embrace and live out in your life. The first one is beauty. I believe this is a difficult point for many, if not all women, because it's a point of attack of the enemy. Often it's over-accentuated or on the other extreme, completely disregarded. It's either idolized or it's completely ignored. But believe me, you are created in God's image. God created each and every one of you just the way he wanted. There's outward beauty. But I understand that that is something that many women, if not all women, struggle with at some point. Here we have 500 BC, Xerxes opens up a beauty competition and it would have been easy for Esther to shy away from that. I'm a Jewish girl, I, we, don't, we don't get involved in stuff like that. A lot of people cringe even when they read this in scripture. But yet it was purposeful. And I believe that this is included in scripture purposely to remind women that you are created in the image of God and each and every one of you has a beauty instilled in you from God himself. And it's not just the inner beauty. You've all heard that, oh, I'm beautiful inside. Yes, that's true, but God has created each and every one of you without exception, beautiful on the outside too. You need to hear that. You need to be reminded of that. And don't let the enemy's lies get in the way of that. 
inside and outside. It's important for you to embrace. It's important for you to know and realize how you see yourself. Yes, inner beauty is vital, but that's often connected to the way you see yourself from the outside. When you look in the mirror, what you see, and oftentimes that's transferred to how you see yourself on the inside. It's time to embrace you. It's time to accept and understand that that you have been created by God in his image. And when you call that junk, you're calling God junk. Don't do it. You are beautiful. You're created in his image and you are to walk in confidence and courage with a high regard for God's creation. Not in arrogance and vanity, but in confidence and courage. You're called to walk in beauty, the beauty that God created you in. Second attribute, I believe, is wisdom. Wisdom throughout the Old Testament is often portrayed, it's personified, it's, it's, it's almost given a name. It, it, we're, we're called to embrace wisdom as a best friend, to draw near to that friend as we would draw near to someone close to us. You see, wisdom is vital. It involves insight and it involves knowledge. It involves what we are to do and what we are not to do, decision-making. If you look at the, the hours of your day from the very moment you get up to the time you put your head on the pillow at night, the number, the sheer number of decisions that each and every one of us have in front of us and are to navigate through. What do we do? What don't we do? What do we say? What don't we say? How do we react? How don't we react? All of the decisions that require wisdom, they're huge. Esther was put in a situation like that, between a rock and a hard place, a no-win situation. She wasn't just saying yes to be Xerxes' wife. She wasn't just saying yes to stepping into the palace and being a queen and wear a crown on her head. She was saying yes to navigate through these situations. She needed the wisdom to know how to hear God and discern his will. You see, ladies, I would like to talk to you specifically. How do you go about your day, the daily decisions that you make? What about the friends? What about the people you surround your life with? Your inner circle, those who speak into your, into your life, those who encourage you, those who give you advice. What about the things that you hold on to, those things that you embrace, those things that you esteem, those things that are priorities in your life? What about those things that you let go and you pass on? Each and every one of those requires wisdom. Each and every one of those requires something more than just tallying up the pros and cons and saying, how does this work for me or how does this work against me? It requires you understanding the will of God and the greater aspect of what you've been called to do in your life. You see, God has amazing things in store for you and require wisdom. You're called to walk in confidence, not in arrogance. You see, confidence isn't a natural resource. Confidence isn't one of those things that you just, oh, there's a person with confidence, they were born with it. 
Now, confidence is something that comes in knowing who you are, knowing your true identity and being able to walk that out with assurance. It's a gift from God. You know, Galatians 5, 16, I love this. Uh, I think it was about a year ago, I I preached a sermon in in Galatians 5 uh, talking about, about the gifts of the Spirit and talking about how we're called to walk and keep in step with the Spirit. And I love to picture this as, as walking with somebody and, and, and not running on ahead, and not lagging behind. You know, kids do that from time to time. You're going on a, on a walk, maybe you're, maybe you're uh, back in Disney World or Disneyland or something like that, and you're, you want to keep your family together, and all of a sudden, Junior goes running off, and no, 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 stay with the family. You know, they get distracted on behind and the family keeps going, no, come on, come on, keep, keep up with us. Galatians 5.16 talks about keeping in step with the Spirit. It has a lot to do with wisdom. Ladies, keep in step with the Spirit. Hear His heartbeat. Know and understand what, what, what His will and His plan is for your life. I love James 1.5. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, what is he supposed to do? What's she supposed to do? She's supposed to ask. Says the person who asks will receive. You ask God for wisdom, he's gonna give it to you. He's gonna respond. He's gonna, you're, you're in a rock and a hard place. You have no understanding of what to do in a specific situation. Would you pause and would you ask the Lord to give you wisdom? He's gonna do it. Wisdom, God will equip you. It's another attribute to incorporate into your life and live out. Third one, it's guts. You might be sitting here going, no, that's not a girl's thing. That's not girly. And I could have put some flowery word on that, but you're supposed to have guts. It's not just a guy thing. Trust me, it's not just a guy thing. Don't convince yourself otherwise. Women, you're called to be bold. Women, you're called to step out in faith. Women, you're called to to have guts, to be brave. You've been called. You have a task. You have a role. You've been set here at this time for a purpose. And don't, don't convince yourself otherwise that you don't have guts or can't have guts. I spent a couple of days down in Austin uh, with Dana and Gabe, and uh, we went to the high school um, state track meet. And I tell you, there are amazing athletes there, uh, guys and girls, but I tell you, you watch the girls, man, there are guts. You talk about girls running the mile, girls doing the pole vault, these girls are going miles higher than I could ever vault or jump or even run. And I tell you, they get to the end of that race, they are, they've given everything and they just collapse on the track and that's guts. So don't tell me that guts are just a guy thing. I know many of you girls here, can I call y'all girls just for the ease and simplicity of it? You know, you girls, that's what you are, right? So girls, you got guts. But so often our society says, hey, if you're a girl, you sit in the corner on a stool and let us guys take care of things. Well, how's it been working for us? All right, now at the same time, I think there's, a, and we'll get into this in just a second, but I think there's a time where, where, where women go, hey, or girls go, hey, no guys, you're not doing it good enough. 
And there's some animosity there that may be a sermon for another time. Even another sermon about guys, come on, step up. And this could be, you know, maybe not beauty, but handsome wisdom. We could preach the same sermon for guys. But girls, step up. Embody bravery. God has given you the opportunity. God has set you in a place. This time, you've been called. It's like Rosa Parks, 1955. Stepping onto that bus and saying, you know what? This is my time. Many women throughout history, we could name hundreds, if not thousands, I'm a fan of the Narnia Chronicles. I don't know if any of you have seen the movies or read the books. But there are four characters, four kids, the Pevensey kids. Two of them are girls, Lucy and Susan. And I was scanning uh, video clips this week. I wanted to show one, but I couldn't pick just one. And I tell you, there were times that I was so inspired and there were times where there were tears just running down my my cheeks because I was so gripped by just the identity that those kids and particularly those two girls had and they knew about themselves. You see, Aslan, the Christ figure, the, the lion, sets them on the throne puts a crown on their head. Says, you are daughters of Eve. You have a task. You have a responsibility. You're mine. I have equipped you. I've called you to be all that I've created you to be. Man, if you've seen those movies, you see them wielding those swords. Stepping out in confidence. It doesn't mean that they don't have difficult days and they don't have trials and they don't have times when they're afraid, where they're fearful, where they're sitting there and they don't know what to do, where help's going to come from. But they're faithfully living out their calling. I believe it's a perfect illustration. Girls, women, what God has called you to to be. You see, he's created you. He's formed you. He's made you and he's put you here for such a time as this. For each and every one of you, it's different. He's called you to live your life out embracing your beauty because it's, it's giving glory to him. You've been created in his image. He's called you to embrace wisdom and walk through life with wisdom. And he's called you to step out in faith, trusting him to equip you with everything that he's called you to be. So this morning, I believe that there's a blessing in order. And I'm inviting all women in this room to stand. Just go ahead and stand. You don't need to be a mom. Just if you are female, you stand. And I want us all to bow our heads, close our eyes. Girls, young and old, you need to be standing right now because we as a church are going to bless you today. 
and say a collective girl, you go for it. And we're gonna cheer you on. We're gonna be praying for you. We wanna see you be all that God has called you to be. Stepping out in faith to do the difficult things and not shy away or shrink back from the challenge, but step out in confidence and courage. You see, the enemy has come to tear you down and destroy your confidence. The enemy wants to drill it into you that men and even godly men are your enemy and your competition, and that's not true. We're your biggest cheerleaders. The enemy would want you to believe that you have nothing to offer, and that's not true. The enemy would want you to believe that you have no strength and no power over evil, and you're a helpless victim, and that's not true. The enemy would want you to believe that you're insignificant and your impact is marginal and I'm here to say that that is not true. Why? Because I know the heart of the Father and I know God's love for you. The heart of God. You're chosen. You're not forsaken. We sung it earlier. I want you to know today that you are who He says you are, not what anyone else does. Women, would you just put your hands out in front of you? Receive a blessing from the Lord today. You'd step out with confidence and courage today and in the days to come. So women of God, daughters of Eve, we bless you. You've been made beautiful by God. You have a beautiful heart too. And may the Lord fill you with wisdom today and may he fill you with courage today. Daughter, you're blessed. And Lord, I pray pray that you would bless her right now. Fill her with your incredible peace. Wrap her in your love. May she feel confident and may she feel worthy. I pray that she would grow closer to you every day. Fuel a desire deep within her to seek after you. I pray that she would lead a life by the example Christ has set. And may she live boldly in that God-given destiny that you have set before her. May she face her days with courage and may she walk in integrity. Help her with those things she struggles with. Give her victory over the evil one. We stand with her today. Surround her with encouragement and give her your precious wisdom. May she experience your great joy today. I bless her today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.